Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we will get up on the first alarm, check in with our personal goals before we dive into work, and evaluate our priorities all in the attempt to overcome our time management woes. Am I speaking to you? Are you chronically late, overwhelmed, and feeling guilty? When you hear things like, stay calm and carry on, better late than never, a day late, a dollar short, does it hit home? Hey, we get it. It's a busy world we all live in, and you're just trying to make your day happen the best you know how. But, you know, the buck does not stop there. You can always work towards freedom and find better practices to make your life easier. So get a piece of paper and start a list, one of the many you might want to make in the future to better use the time you are allotted. Ah, time, the only thing we don't have enough of. Well, I would say love too, but that's another show. I remember when I was younger and I couldn't wait to grow up. I couldn't wait for high school. I couldn't wait to drive. I couldn't wait for the weekend or to be considered an adult. Now, I wonder where all that time went. Today, I'm trying to stretch time, shove as much as I can into a work day, and make the weekend creep by. I'm trying to hold on to precious moments before they become memories of the past. Many say age is just a number, and that's true, but it's made up of 24 hours, 7 days a week. 30 days a month, 12 months in a year. Time in our rearview mirror. Making the most of time is essential. So let's look at where we spend our time and tips to help us better manage it for not only a more productive, but a happier life. Blaise Cause starts us off with the 12 best time management quotes of all time explained, found at spicea.com. Number one. This was by M. Scott Peck. Until you value yourself, you will not value your time. Until you value your time, you will not do anything with it. The first quote deserves the top spot as it states that how we spend our time and how we set priorities reflects our personal values and how much we value ourselves, which is a lesson we could all learn from. A common indicator that we need to value ourselves more is if we say yes to everything. While it can seem like a positive thing, if we don't pay any attention to how we spend our time and to what we say yes to, this is actually negative. So good time management starts with knowing your self-worth and that time is the most precious resource you've got. Number two. I must govern the clock, not be governed by it. Golda Meir. One of the biggest advancements in managing our time is achieved when we become productive with how we spend it, meaning we don't react to every stimulus in our environment. For example, you don't immediately reply to every message in your chat apps. Instead, you do it later, after you complete the most important tasks of the day. The idea is that you govern your daily time to the greatest extent possible, never just reacting. You are the one who should be the pilot of your time. Number three, 
Your greatest asset is your earning ability. Your greatest resource is your time. Brian Tracy. Besides time, your greatest asset is your earning ability. The more competencies you develop, the more you can earn. And consequently, the more money that you earn and save, the more leverage you have to achieve bigger goals. It's smart to guard your time carefully and at the same time develop your earning potential to the maximum. Number four, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. Abraham Lincoln. The concept of sharpening the saw was popularized by Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Successful People. Sharpening the saw is about regularly investing in the four basic dimensions of your life. Investing in your body, the physical dimension, mind, the mental dimension, heart, emotional dimension, and soul, spiritual dimension. Taking care of all four dimensions of your existence is about living a balanced life that brings the best long-term results. Always take enough time to invest in yourself. Number five, you can only manage time if you track it right. Peter Drucker said you can only manage what you measure. Time is no exception in this. So if you want to become better at time management, the first step is to track your time Analyze how you spend it and then optimize. Number six, concentrate all your thoughts upon the work at hand. The sun rays do not burn until brought into focus. This was by Alexander Graham Bell. Doing deep work and being focused on the most important tasks of the day are two of the most popular concepts in time management. Avoid multitasking eliminating all distractions, and giving everything to the task at hand is how great things in life are achieved. Focus your efforts and shine at what you're best at in life. Number seven, Napoleon Hill said, don't wait, the time will never be just right. Timing is a really important part of being productive. If we do something at the wrong time, we can be doomed to failure simply because of bad timing. Timing is everything, but on the other hand, it's also impossible to hit perfect timing. The timing of your action needs to be just good enough, so make sure waiting for perfect opportunity is not just an excuse for your procrastination. Number eight, the secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. Mike Murdoch. Great time management is closely connected to managing habits. If you develop the right habits in life, good time management happens by itself. Regularly exercising, starting the day with the hardest task, going to sleep early enough, saying no to things that you don't like, these are all habits on which good time management is based. Bruce Lee said, it's not the daily increase, but daily decrease. Hack away at the unessential. We live in times of high market complexity, information overload, numerous distractions, and a surplus of options. The antidote to all these distractions is minimalism, the concept which encourages us to have only the perfect amount of something. This idea usually means a daily increase in purchases, decision-makings, etc., 
which leads us to focusing only on the essentials. It's hard to be effective if your life is full of clutter. Number 10, once you've mastered time, you will understand how true it is that most people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. This comes from Anthony Robbins. Achieving anything meaningful in life takes years. Overnight success comes after a decade of hard and smart work. We all want to immediately increase our earnings, lose weight, have awesome relationships, etc. But all these things rarely happen in a very short time. So never overestimate what you can achieve in a month or even a year. And don't underestimate what you can achieve in a decade. Time and patience are the two most powerful tools at your disposal. Number 11. Oprah Winfrey said, You can have it all, just not all at once. A good perspective on time is that it was created so everything doesn't happen at once. That also means you can have almost everything in life, just not all at the same time. And of course, you can only have what you want based on presumption that you invest enough effort. Number 12, tough times never last, but tough people do. Robert H. Schuler. Last but not least, sometimes we all find ourselves in tough situations. The wisdom we need when we go through hell is to keep going. In the end, tough times never last, but tough people do. Hard times can often help us become stronger, learn completely new things, and develop our character in new and interesting directions. Sometimes life puts your character to test, but luckily, tough times never last. Ooh, being tardy. Wasn't that always a negative thing when you were growing up? My grandfather told me, if I didn't want to be late, I just needed to leave a little early. So I'm almost always early. No revelation there. I just know how much time it takes me to do most tasks. So if I have to be somewhere at a certain time, I factor all that in. I would rather spend a few moments sitting in my car in a parking lot than skidding into a parking space with my heart beating out of my chest. But... I do know people, and I'm sure you do too, who are never on time. Are they rude, disrespectful, absent-minded, or just busier than you? Laura Clark sheds some light on why some people are always running late, found at bbc.com. Her confession, I'm a late person. At least one in recovery. In fact, I've repeatedly and embarrassingly missed the deadline for this very article. I'd love to pretend this is some journalistic form of method acting. It is not. I know I'm not alone. We all know that person. There's the childminder who is always late. The colleague who misses every deadline, even if it's just by a few hours. The friend you must tell to arrive 30 minutes earlier than she needs to for your lunch reservation. There are few habits as infuriating as someone making us wait. But despite what may be running through your mind as you're kept waiting, it's unlikely your friend or colleagues are just being selfish. A look into the psychology of lateness offers a glimpse into the mind that may be malfunctioning. But there's also more than one fix. No, late people aren't rude and lazy. 
Perceptions of unpunctual people are almost always negative, even if misguided. It's easy to perceive them as disorganized, chaotic, rude, and lacking in consideration for others. This comes to us from Harriet Malote, a cognitive behavioral therapist and clinical psychologist in training in London. Outside of my clinical practice, others being late is something that can particularly get under my skin. But many late people are at least somewhat organized and want to keep friends, family, and bosses happy. The punctually challenged are often excrutinately aware and ashamed of the damage their lateness could do to their relationships, reputations, careers, and finances. While there are those who get a charge out of keeping others waiting, if you're typical, you dislike being late. Says Diana DeLancer, author of her book, Never Be Late Again, yet tardiness remains your nemesis. Some excuses, particularly for acute lateness, are fairly universally accepted. An accident or illness, for example, but others aren't so easy to swallow. Some late people will pass it off as a symptom of being big thinking and concerned with loftier matters than timekeeping, as an endearing quirk, a mark of doing one's best work under pressure, or having the body clock of a night owl rather than a lark. A teacher in London says her reputation for being unpunctual can sometimes be attributed to a difference in opinion. A friend will ask me to come over and they'll say, come anytime from seven, she says. But if I do turn up at eight or later, they're annoyed. Being consistently late might not be your fault. It could be your type. The punctually challenged often share personality characteristics such as optimism, low levels of self-control, anxiety, or a penchant for thrill-seeking, experts say. Personality differences could also dictate how we experience the passing of time. In 2001, Jeff Conti, a psychology professor at San Diego University, ran a study in which he separated participants into type A people, ambitious, competitive, and type B people, creative, reflective, explorative, He asked them to judge without clocks how long it took for one minute to elapse. Type A people felt a minute had gone by within roughly 58 seconds. Type B participants felt a minute had gone by after 77 seconds. Late people often have a bizarre compulsion to defeat themselves. This writes TED speaker Tim Urban. He gave thus poor souls a name, Clips. Chronically late, insane people. (laughs) Of course, there are other reasons for lateness, but many remain self-inflicted. For starters, there's the anticipation of being late or even too much attention to detail. For Joanna, the most distressing example is writing school reports. I never make the deadline, which looks like I don't care, she says. I think about the report for weeks and put so much angst into really assessing each child. But the fact that they are late undermines it all. For some lateness, it's a consequence of deeply distressing common mental health or neurological conditions. People with anxiety diagnosis often avoid certain situations. Individuals with low self-esteem are likely to be critical about their abilities, which may cause them to take more time to check their work. 
And depression often comes with low energy, making mustering the motivation to get on the move hard. Dr. Linda Sapodin, a psychologist in private practice in New York and author of How to Beat Procrastination in the Digital Age, says, some persistent lateness comes from an obsessive thinking problem. Change the word but to and. The task becomes less daunting. In short, she says, the procrastinator focuses on a fear attached to the event or deadline for which they're running late. Rather than figuring out how to get beyond the fear, the fear becomes the excuse, usually expressed with a but statement. For instance, you might tell yourself, I want to be on time for that event, but I couldn't decide what to wear. I started to write an article, but I was afraid my colleagues would find it not good enough. Whatever comes after the but is what counts, she says. She tells people to change the word but to and. But denotes opposition and blockage. And denotes connection and resolution. The task becomes less daunting and the fear less of an obstacle. DeLonzer started on her path to punctuality by identifying and adapting the very thing that seemed to always make her late. That was only after she failed over and over again to improve her timeliness. And then she realized it was the thrill of being rushed that she craved. Changing what she craved was the only way to improve. As I worked towards the goal of being more timely, I began to see the importance of being a reliable person. Developing that side of myself soon became a priority. Then there are the friends and loved ones who simply can't take it anymore. For those left waiting, there is hope. You too can dictate what you're willing to put up with. Instead of getting angry or upset, you can take a stand and set boundaries. Talk about what you will do if the person isn't on time. For instance, tell your late friend you'll go into the movie without them if they're more than 10 minutes late. Tell the colleague who never turns in his part of the project on time that it just won't be included next time and the boss will know about it. She said, for me, a turning point came when a good friend drew her line in the sand. I was an hour late for a run at our local park. That was it. She wasn't going to make any more plans with me, and so she set in motion the best thing for me, accountability, and identifying and addressing underlying problems that led to my perpetual lateness. As the adage goes, old habits die hard, but the next time I find myself keeping someone waiting, I'll be looking at my thinking, and I'll try to change it, even just a little. Maybe there's more to the story. Wanda Thibodeau keeps us in this vein with 11 unusual reasons you're habitually late and how to master the clock. This comes from Lindsay Holmes of the Huffington Post, Alfie Cohen of Psychology Today, Adora Dureva Harrison of Psychology Today and Time list the following as possibilities for lateness. You're multitasking so much that you lose your sense of whether you're doing what's necessary to stay on schedule. This might be because of personal goals, 
requests from others, or the feeling that you're wasting time if you're not using every second. Your internal clock is off and tells you that you've got more time to finish when that's not true. People with type A personalities incidentally are more likely to have accurate internal clocks than people with the type B personalities. You like the intention or feeling of power you get when you finally enter a room. (laughs) Oh, you want to minimize feelings of anxiety by minimizing the time you have to be present or involved. There's something you need to apologize for. You just don't want to or can't admit what it is outright. So you're late on purpose to have a substitute reason to apologize. That's clever. You're genuinely egocentric and lack empathy towards the people you offend by being late. You watch the clock but have trouble adjusting your behavior like changing pace, eliminating items from your to-do list, to stave off lateness. This could be because you get too engrossed in what you're doing, see everything you want to do as a priority, or get swept up in the inertia of doing it. You don't want to be early because it's inefficient, wasting your time. You're not willing to accept the opportunity cost of leaving early. Lateness helps you avoid the feelings of foolishness, awkwardness, or being judged that sometimes comes with being early. You're bored and thrive on the urgency being late creates. You're absent-minded and just forget. Undoubtedly, these possibilities just scratch the surface. If you're an empathetic extrovert, for example, you might find it hard to stop talking with others when it's time to go, simply because their company and opinions are valuable and energizing to you. Or maybe you're still rebelling against the parent who rushed you to do everything under the sun. You may have more than one element contributing to your lateness at the same time, but these tricks should help you get a handle on the clock. Make yourself a to-do list. Prioritize what's most important on the list and then cut it in half based on prioritization. This will keep you more grounded about what you can fit into the time before you leave. For a week, jot down estimates of how long you think tasks will take. When you're done, write down how long they actually took. Use the actual time for completion in future scheduling. Based on your weekly journal, identify patterns. Are you late to some things and not to others? Maybe there's a psychological or logistical reason related to only certain things that you're doing. Say no rather than trying to cram more into your schedule. Set an alarm on your phone or watch for 10 or 5 minutes before you need to leave. At the 10-minute alarm, wrap up what you're immediately doing or tell others you need to leave in 5 minutes. At the 5-minute alarm, log off, gather your things, and say goodbye. Schedule time for the other things you know you want to do, like reading or checking in on Facebook. If those are in your plan elsewhere, you probably won't feel like you're giving them up by leaving on time. Bring something simple with you to do. If you're early, you can work on that without feeling awkward or deprived. Ask yourself what you're feeling, putting off, or aiming to do by not leaving. 
Keep a list of things you accomplish so you can prove to yourself you can get attention in positive ways. Ask others how they're feeling or what they need. Try something new like a stretch project or a different hobby instead of taking on more. Find a buddy who can hold you accountable. Switch your routine so you don't fall back into the habits that make you late. Automatically add five minutes to the time you think you need to get somewhere. Remember, it's not just about the clock. So if you don't hit it the first time, it's okay. Just try again and again and again and again. And don't be shy about talking to a professional to sort out what you're dealing with. Eventually, you'll make it. I love sharing tips and tricks about how we can be more efficient and save time. My mind immediately goes there when I have a task in front of me. It's not that I'm lazy, but if I can cut out a few clicks on the computer or trips through the house, then I'm going to take advantage. There are certain laws that always apply, and knowing them can help you put context to what you've already been feeling. Over at zenlyorganized.com, I found tips to become a time management master with these eight time laws. First one is the Parkinson's law. Work expands so to fill the time available for its completion. I think about that like a purse. If you have a small purse, you have a few things. And if you have a big purse, well, you got a lot of things because you got to fill it up, right? But it basically means that the more time you have to complete a task, the more time you will take to complete it, no matter how easy the task is. So you can use this kind of law to reduce the time spent on procrastination or how to increase your concentration. You can set deadlines for your task and goals. That will help you put this law into practice. A good deadline is realistic in terms of the time needed to accomplish the task, but it shouldn't be too far in time to keep you a bit under pressure. You can use the Pomodoro Technique. It's a technique that consists of uninterrupted 25-minute periods of work, followed by short 5-minute breaks. Then after four such series, there is a longer break of 15 to 30 minutes. It's also possible to do longer cycles, for example, 90 minutes followed by 15-minute breaks. This technique is very effective because it gives you a set period to focus on one task. Plus, by setting a deadline to finish the task, you help your brain focus entirely on the task at hand. This technique helps you set a specific time for your tasks and stick to it, so you don't lose more time than needed on your tasks. It consists of assigning a block of time in your planner for all tasks you have to do. Carson's Law A task completed in one single stretch will be completed much faster than doing the same task in multiple attempts. In other terms, stop switching between tasks. Use this law to help you lose less time on your tasks, work more efficiently, reduce attention residue. How can you put this law into practice? Limit your distractions. Put your phone on airplane mode. Only keep the relevant tabs open in your browser. Turn off all other notifications on your phone and computer, especially email notifications. Work in a closed room. 
Use noise-canceling headphones. Keep your space well-organized. Ask your colleagues, flatmates, partners, kids not to disturb you. Illage's Law, also called the Law of Diminishing Returns. Beyond a certain threshold, human efficiency decreases, even becoming negative. In short, you can't work for hours without taking a break. Indeed, the maximum amount of time your brain can focus on a single task is 90 minutes. For some people, it's less than that. So it's important to take regular breaks. So use this law to increase your efficiency without exhausting yourself. Reduce the inefficiencies and mistakes that happen when you're too tired. How to put into practice? Take regular breaks. Labyrinth's Law, also known as the Law of Least Effort. Humans prefer to carry out simple tasks that give immediate satisfaction to avoid stress or inconvenience. Basically, humans are lazy and don't like to suffer. Okay, joking apart, we tend to procrastinate on the tasks that stress us, make us uncomfortable, or that we perceive as difficult. Instead, we tend to get the easy and simple tasks done and postpone the hard ones for as long as possible. So you can use this law to reduce procrastination, boost your motivation, reduce your mental load by getting to the stressful and inconvenient tasks as soon as possible. How to put it into practice? Eat the frog. You've probably already heard about this concept, which encourages us to get to the most stressful, difficult task before any other. It helps you boost your motivation to get all the other tasks done. Plan your days and schedule your tasks first. Identify the cause of your procrastination. If you procrastinate on a task, it's because there's a reason behind it. Identify it and act accordingly. Pareto's Principle also known as the 80-20 rule. 80% of your results are produced by 20% of your actions. In short, a few of your tasks will yield more results than any other ones combined. For example, if you have 10 items on your to-do list, two of these tasks will produce 80% of the results for your whole day. You should therefore identify these tasks and prioritize them over the other ones that bring less impact. Simply put, these should be the first task you tackle in your day. So use this law to prioritize your to-do list efficiently, optimize your time and effort, yield more results in less time, and reduce perfectionism. How to put it into practice? Use the effort of the impact matrix to develop the most important and impactful tasks. This matrix also allows you to determine which tasks are the most efficient in terms of effort and impact on your goals. Hofstadter's Law. It always takes longer than you expect even when you take into account Hofstadter's Law. This one is pretty self-explanatory. We're really bad at estimating how long a task or project will take to be accomplished. So use this law to set realistic deadlines, plan for delays, and reduce the stress caused by delays. How to put it into practice? Do regular time audits. This way, you'll be able to plan your days and your projects more accurately. Always plan for more time than you think it will take you. 
If you think a task will take you one hour to complete, budget for at least an hour and a half to two. The same goes for projects. If you think it will take you a month to complete it, give yourself a month and a half. It's better to finish early than miss your deadline. And schedule buffer periods. Leaving 20% of your day free for any unexpected occurrences or delays is just smart. If they happen, you won't be short on time and you won't accumulate delays. If you can't keep this much free time available, try to keep half a day every week to catch up on any delays. In short, don't plan your days minute by minute and don't overbook your days. Otherwise, you'll most certainly have to review your whole organization all the time. Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong, you got it, will go wrong. This is probably the most famous of these laws, and it's also pretty self-explanatory. Stuff just happens, so take it into account and be prepared for it. Use this law to anticipate and prepare for problems, obstacles, unexpected events, reduce stress caused by these problems, How to use this law in practice? Anticipate what could go wrong. Think about what problems could arise and plan for solutions. Always have a plan B so you're not caught off guard. Schedule buffers. This way you'll have more time to face the problems and solve them. How about Swoboda Felice Telcher Law? There are biological rhythms in humans that directly influence their productivity. This one requires the least effort to put into place, but yields incredible results. By knowing your own biological rhythms and identifying the moments in which you're most productive, you'll be able to accomplish more and better results with less resistance from your body. Use this law to find the moments in which you're more productive. Increase your productivity without additional efforts and without exhausting yourself. And work more efficiently. How to put it into practice? Know your chronotype and use it to plan your days. You can find out your chronotype at Dr. Oz's website. So it's www.drozshow.com. The quiz is, what is your chronotype? Let's hear a little bit more about the 80-20 rule from Richard Koch. If you weren't aware of it before, you will be now, and you'll be looking for it in everything that you do. The theme of my talk may surprise you just a little bit. It's how you can actually work less, but also achieve more. As Scott just said, trying harder doesn't work, so let's try trying less. I'm going to stick my neck out and say that most of you here today work much too hard. And as, a result, and as a result of working too hard, you produce much too little result relative to what could be produced. I'm going to reveal a secret how you, every member of the team, can actually multiply your effectiveness to achieve results that are many times more valuable than you've achieved already, no matter how valuable those things that you've achieved already are. To deploy your energy far more intelligently, to work no harder than you do at the moment, and perhaps quite a lot less hard, while getting results that are not just a bit better than the results today, but are hugely better. The secret to success, I'm going to suggest this afternoon, is to get more from less. 
More from less. That's really the theme of, of this last session. And over the next few minutes, we're going to see how. One of my favorite quotations comes rather oddly, perhaps, from a Prussian army officer called General von Manstein, who had this to say about his people. He said, there are only four types of officers. First, there are the lazy, stupid ones. Now, did he suggest firing these people? Not at all. He said, leave them alone. They do no harm. Because <laughs> at least they're lazy. Second, there are the hard-working, intelligent ones. Now, they're good, obviously. They make excellent staff officers, ensuring that every aspect of a plan is very carefully considered. And third, there are the hard-working, stupid ones. Now, these people, he said, he'd really got into these, these people are a menace. They must be fired at once. They create irrelevant work for everybody. And finally, there are the intelligent, lazy ones. Now, these people are suited for the highest office. So the good general was suggesting that whether you're smart or intelligent, it's actually much better to be lazy. Is this a silly paradox? Well, visualize it. Do you think that Warren Buffett is busy frantically crunching numbers at his desk? Do you think that's what Rupert Murdoch spends his time doing? Do you imagine that Jim Clark does that, rather than thinking about boats that he's going to sail? What's the value that Bill Gates added to the world a function of the hours that he put in? Or what about Ronald Reagan, who famously said, it's true hard work never killed anyone, but I figure, why take the chance? <laughs> or John F. Kennedy, or Winston Churchill, or Albert Einstein, or Isaac Newton. What all these people do or did was spend time creatively on the few essentials, and little or no time on the mass of trivia that engulfs all of us most of the time. Most life, especially most business life, is trivia. Don't work to deal with the trivia, work to avoid the trivia. Save yourself for the one or two things each week that are really important in terms of getting results. Spend time deciding what those things are. Then work out how to deal with them. Then spend time considering and reconsidering and preparing, and then go and get to what you want. Because, ladies and gentlemen, few things really matter. But they matter a tremendous amount. These things that really matter are often difficult to find. But once you find the few things that really matter, they give you tremendous power. The power that gives you more from less. The power of the 80-20 principle. Now let me just say a little bit about that power. The power that can be liberated by the team here. It lies in one phrase, which is finding the vital few in the trivial many. As, as many of you know, I'm sure, the 80-20 principle asserts that a minority of causes, inputs, or effort usually leads to the great majority of results from those causes. A good benchmark, really a hypothesis, is that 80% of results come from 20% of causes. Typically, a few products, maybe 20%, or often much less than that, account for 80% of a company's sales. More importantly, 20% of, of sales will account for 
80% of profits. And even more important than that, 20% of customers will account for 80% of profits. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, value saving time as much as spending it. Make room to find some balance when you schedule out your day. You deserve a meaningful time slot. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear.